you're, who's going to go? You're gonna is go. it me or is it you? Yeah, is bring, it me? Bring, 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 it bring, me? Him, bring, him, bring him on. Listen, bring him on. I'm going to introduce Jesse and Chris. <laughs> we are here oh, today. <laughs> and we're going to talk about some stuff. Evidently, no one knows what the hell we're going to talk about, but we're going to talk about some stuff. <laughs> you know that you know the guest is going to be really cool when he just takes over the introduction. That's, I think we're guests true. on the show now. I really do. So, uh, welcome to Jocks. <laughs> welcome, Nerd Jocks, this special edition of the Nerd Jock Podcast. Uh, I am one half of your host and founder, Jesse Grund, and along with me is. Chris Marone, as we are here having a wonderful discussion and conversation with uh, the wonderful and talented, help me pronounce your last name correctly, Chris? Mentars. Yeah. Mentars. Chris Mentars yes. has joined Nailed us it. to uh, bring his expertise and his thoughts and his uh, uh, perspective on the wonderful conversation of the rampant injuries that are happening within the NFL. Yeah. I I thought this was a really important topic. So, so Chris is a physical therapist based out of Buffalo, New York, originally from Rochester. He's also a TRX master instructor. He's an educator. Uh, I've actually gotten the chance to actually sit and listen to him educate back in 2016 was the first course or first presentation I ever sat through with Chris. And he's uh, incredibly intelligent, very, very knowledgeable on what we're going to be talking about, but not just that he's, He's excellent at taking that knowledge and putting it in digestible chunks so that we can all, uh, us peons, can kind of understand what exactly is going on. You used to call those layman uh, terms. Layman terms, yeah, exactly. So, Chris, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to join us. Uh, how, how are you? Good. One thing you failed to mention in the introduction is layman is my middle name. It's perfect. Oh, wow. <laughs> Love it. <Yeah. laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so Chris, obviously, I mean, I came kind of gave you a little bit of an intro so people understand your expertise. Can you talk a little bit about what you do right now in Buffalo? Uh, what, what kind of clients you've worked with in the past and where your sure. uh, experience and knowledge of movement has taken you today? Yeah, sure, sure. Well, I'm currently in Buffalo, like you said, in Buffalo. I'm doing a healthcare educational doctorate. So I've transitioned uh, not out of the clinical world, just a little bit more intention in trying to learn how this whole education thing works. I think as practitioners, as coaches, we certainly understand the value in passing communication on to people. Uh, However, inherently, we don't teach how to teach people. And the other part of that equation is People have different ways of learning, and there's a skill set to teaching that we don't also get taught in school. So that's what I'm going to school uh, right now to learn about and sort of start to bridge that gap in the education uh, world. So awesome. um, that's one thing I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Nice. I still do see some patients. I, you know, have a, a select few people, uh, more or less projects who I work with, you know, uh, helping with strength conditioning and manual therapy or um, guiding them in the medical care. But, you know, I do have a background in, in pro athletics. I've worked at uh, Athletes Performance or Exos for a number of years out West and um, certainly have been in, in that, that world for a while. So uh, it's fun to see, you know, athletes compete. It's fun to help them train. Um, and it's fun to have these conversations. Yeah. You can, and I love, I love what you just said there too, about something that I think is, is, is extremely important is it's how many, how many times have we, you know, learned something, but then we ourselves don't learn how to pass that knowledge on effectively and efficiently. And, you know, sometimes there's just like, I can think about my uh, time growing up in school and being like, I have like one or two teachers that I can think about that did that well. And it should have been all teachers were doing that well. So 
where's the disconnect there in passing knowledge on, especially in this this conversation right. and, and regarding the human body uh, to this extent? Mm-hmm. It's it's wow, we are f- far behind yet so far ahead. It's weird. Yeah, yeah. Everyone has a different viewpoint of what their their body is. Everyone has a, a different starting point. Everyone has a, a different way of taking that information and everyone has different goals and beliefs about why it's important. You know, so it's hard to, you know, people's relationship with their body is already broken. There's a lot of pieces that are put back together, you know, and I think we're doing some really great things and I think there's some things we could do better as well. So, uh, but I don't know, hopefully we can contribute along the way. Yeah. And speaking of things that we could do better, I know Jesse, you, you, when you brought this uh, up as a, as a, as a, means to have this conversation and to do this episode you were like just take a look at the injuries going on in, in right. the NFL. and i just remember looking and i was like oh my god so many names so many teams with several players if you want to you know jump more in on that and kind of explain like how you just started to see that trend grow almost you know it's been interesting uh they had a the NFL made a COVID-19 reserve list for obviously what we're going through in the pandemic. I feel like they should have made a hamstring reserve list just for all the hamstring pulls that have occurred in the NFL. It's, it's interesting for me to see this because uh, for me it, and, and Chris, we can get a little deeper into it, but it tells me two things. Uh, it tells me most of these players were not actually taking care of themselves preseason when the, what should have been a preseason time period um, the, and the ramp up was just too fast. Um, but there, there's more layers to that, but we're seeing hamstring injuries. Uh, there was a grade two pull um, that was, it wasn't non-contact, but it was a cutback that I saw. And I'm just like that hamstring shouldn't have, shouldn't have done that. Um, we've got MCL injuries. We've got star players tearing their ACL in non-contact fashion. Um, and we know that non-contact ACL injuries are, uh, they're, 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 uh, they're on the rise in the youth and that is carrying over into the professional world. So I just think it's really interesting that, um, and Chris, if you're in Buffalo, so obviously the bills are four and O and everybody's circling the wagons up in Buffalo right now, but I'm sure, and they've been pretty, you know, not, not having as many injuries. Have you been paying attention to what's been going on out there? Um, injury-wise in the NFL? Sure. Certainly I've noticed the the number of – and it's not just in the NFL. It's, um, you know, across all sports. So if you look at pro soccer, um, if you look at baseball, there's just a high number of soft tissue injuries. So put that under hamstring strain, groin strain, calf strain, having someone go to the sideline to stretch their calf and get a cramp right? All mm-hmm. those probably go into the same category. Um, and these guys are pro athletes, you know, they, they do it for a job and there's pretty high injury risk anyway in, in the athletic community. Um, but I think certainly there's something to be said about the amount of injuries we've seen lately. And I think, you know, I think it became on our radar probably, I don't know. And we were, we had, we shared a workout in what April together and yeah. you and I were game planning for, so what does this mean as we come back to sport? What does this mean? Mm-hmm. And that was the biggest thing that we talked about is, hey, people are going to have soft tissue injuries. We knew that. Um, and I have my opinion why that might happen. You know, and I do want to say that I think a lot of these guys, they're pro athletes. They did the best they can to take care of themselves. I know in the select community that I'm here in, in Buffalo and 
the sports medicine team in Buffalo did a really, really, really good job and intelligent job at doing some of the things that they needed to do. But uh, these things do happen and we're living in extraordinary times right now. So I would love to have a little deeper conversation of why you think that happens. And, and I guess a lot of it is, it's not what happened in the past. It's how we are we going to move forward? So how are we going to get game plan for spring sports, such as track and field? Mm-hmm. How are we going to take these guys now who have a chink in the armor, right? They have a ding in the armor. How are we going to make sure that they can stay healthy the rest of their career and make sure a hamstring injury doesn't turn to an ACL injury, which by the way, we've seen already in the last couple of weeks. Sure. I mean, the hamstring is the decelerator of the knee. So, I mean, it, it, they kind of end up going hand in hand. We, just for people to kind of understand, because you understand mechanism of injury a little bit more, can you just briefly kind of explain the difference between a hamstring pull and maybe even a hamstring strain for those? Mm-hmm. And then maybe uh, a little bit about the, the ACL, because that's one of the ones that obviously is the game ender. You know, ACL tears, yeah. your season's done. You know, it's not like an MCL that maybe you can play through, maybe it can get better you know, why the ACL ends up being something that totally ends your season as soon as you tear it. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Well, let's talk about the hamstrings first. The hamstring uh, is essentially, I, in my mind, I think of it as four or five muscles. So you have the, the beefy bicep femoris, long head and short head. So you can almost treat that. If you're a manual therapist, you're probably going to treat that as two separate muscles. So that is the force generator, right? That's the, I'm going to get up and get going and, and really, uh, change directions and get you out of the gate. Whereas semi-membranosis and semi-tendinosis, and I also throw adductor longus in there because mm-hmm. it shares origin and insertion with those muscles. And especially if you're dealing with a lineman or a soccer player who tends to externally rotate more or a mm-hmm. hockey player, all of a sudden now that adductor is now a little bit sagittal plane friendly. So it can very much so start to act a little bit like a hip flexor. So sometimes these groin injuries are really hamstring injuries and hamstring injuries are really groin injuries if you want to decipher the difference based on traditional anatomy. But the semi-membranosis and semi-tendinosis are a little bit different because they're very long. So biceps femoris is beefy. Semi-membranosis and tendinosis are essentially long tendons. So they're going to be more prone to things like tendinopathies or reactivity injuries uh, versus bicep femoris where you're probably going to be dealing more with soft tissue straining in the um, muscular tissue, you know, semi-membranosis and tendinosis, you're probably going to deal with muscle tendon junctions. So the mechanism of injury tends to be a little bit different for each of those, um, which I think is important. And I think if you're looking at traditional exercises, you know, the strength coaches in the NFL, they, they do a good job, right? They're, they are at the highest level of, of their profession. And a Nordic hamstring curl, while it's good, it's not like sprinting in a game. And while practice is good and scrimmaging is good, it's not like game time experience. So I think if you look at the injury mechanism as far as biomechanics and the load demands on speed, it's very different than what the exposure was in practice. You know, I think those preseason games, while everyone poo-poos them, you know, maybe getting five to seven high intense reps and then shutting it down and then doing the same thing the next week, but making it 15, 20 intense reps and shutting it down has some value. So that would be one of the confounding variables that I think is would be interesting to talk about is those, those preseason games because lining up against that 
you know, this, the, that opponent on your team who you played against, who, you know, you sort of know the play that's coming is very different than going to 110% when the lights are on, when the music is up, when the fans are watching. Yeah. I, I yeah. actually have my own anecdotal experience to something that you were, you were talking about with, with like traditional exercise and, and, so I played uh, football for, for 10 years all the way up to college, and I finished out at the University of Georgia. And it was like right around the time period where I was excelling uh, in my development. Um, a choice was made where they basically kind of like split the strength and conditioning staff and certain strength and conditioning coaches got certain players and other ones got that. And, and I diverted to a different strength and conditioning coach. And uh, almost immediately, because this individual had a very old school way of handling workouts, I mm-hmm. strained my hamstring um, within, I think, two workouts. And I couldn't get over it for like the rest of my time there. It was just a continual problem that, that I suffered. And I thought it was really interesting because as you were speaking, I was like, where is, you know, where is that education kind of? Uh, still plaguing us and not updating with the times. You know, it's like a Windows operating system of Windows 98 and everybody's running around with these, you know, this this Windows 10 and and these these upgraded uh, uh, operating systems, but we just haven't caught up. Uh, do you feel like that is still something that is happening, uh, unfortunately, within, you know, uh, maybe even college, but specifically within NFL? Or there needs to be almost like a, a major update just across the board with this subject matter in general? Yeah, I, I, that's a, that's a great question. And I think it really, uh, would, yeah, would have to, you'd have to really look at the individual situation to make that decision. Yeah. You know, because, uh, hamstring injuries are a little different, you know, it's not something you would normally see. Um, so I don't know if it's a, a complete system update that we need to get done or just like, Hey, let's learn from our mistakes. You know, there's certain things in, in one thing you are seeing, which is great. We understand that certain soft tissue injuries before it was, Hey, um, you know, I, I can give you an example of an NFL player where he strained his hamstring, like, you know, preseason game number two, you know, week number one, he was 90%, you know, but it was day week first, first, you know, uh, game with his new team. So he went, you know, finished the game, came back. He was 80%. You know, week two, oh, he, he happens to be playing his own, own his old team. Okay. Right? So he goes. Third quarter, strains his hamstring out six weeks. So what you are seeing now is that we're not pushing the envelope as much. And a lot of these guys who you see have little hamstring strains, strains they will let them sit for a week or two, thinking about what the goal is, right? The goal is to make the playoffs. The goal is to be healthy in the playoffs. The goal is to win a Super Bowl. So if we have to sit you up for a week early in the season, especially if it's a game that doesn't mean anything, let's, let's figure that out. You know, it's like a runner, you know, deciding a B and C races or, you know, um, interval speed versus distance. We got to pick and choose when we we ramp up the speed because those tissues do need time to recover, especially if we're dealing with tendinopathies. It takes, you know, a reactive tendon one to three days to be non-reactive. And then it might take three to five days to go from, you know, something where the tendon is a little more broken down to, to healthy tissue. So that that high end speed is important. And then especially if you're decelerating, especially if you're opening up your stride and uh, a sprinter's stride is going to use more forefoot. So the, the, the dynamic motion is very different than if you're on a 
Nordic hamstring curl, right? Nordic hamstring curl is almost, I guess I would call it a short lever because you're going to dig in the heels, right? TRX hamstring curl, what are you going to do? Dig in the heels. You know, now you have things like short short glute bridges and hip drivers and pieces of equipment that mimic those positions. I can put 400 pounds on, but it's not the speed and the demand of a long lever as my foot's coming out in front of me to pull across the ground. So we, what we might think is good glute and hamstring training and might be good, but it might not meet the demands of having that foot out extended in front of us. It's incomplete. I think, I think is what yeah, you're getting incomplete. at, which, what, which, which yeah. I would, which I would, which I would argue that, you know, though there are some very good college and pro strength and conditioning coaches out there, I think they're, I think they're still outnumbered and, and I have people I know in the industry and you probably do too. And I would say the good ones are outnumbered by the bad ones. I still think we have people functioning off of 1970s science and trying to, you know, load, load things that don't need to be loaded. Um, you've got uh, players who work out on their own in the off season um, and do some crazy things. I remember miles, I remember seeing a video of miles Garrett from the Browns uh, doing uh, a, I think it was like a 400 pound back squat to which I'm, you know, in my mind, I'm like, you're already in the NFL. Why are we doing a 400 pound back squat? And the knee valgus was just so extreme. And then he was doing box jumps, holding 85 pound dumbbells. And I just remember watching it and going, what's going on here? Like this doesn't like how, how is this to anybody? Even the athlete makes sense. I want to backtrack a bit. Cause I think hamstring pulls and strains are things you can come back from. Right. But when we right. talk about the, all the, the almighty ACL injury, um, why does the ACL, why is tearing the ACL shut a player down for the season? And why does that injury need surgery as opposed to an MCL? And I, and I get this question a lot and I, I think people, you're going to say it a lot smarter than I do, but why I can injure an MCL and be out five weeks. I injure an ACL. I'm out, you know, you know, six to 12 yeah. months or whatever it is well, based on how they do the, uh, we're, I, we're kind of past that now, I, mean, I would say, but I, I would say so. I know people yeah. in the past have suffered that they they, mm-hmm. they tore their their ACL and they could never come back. It just never. never we're we're yeah. actually using yeah. we're actually using um uh and Chris can talk about this. We're actually using uh tendon to replace ligament uh, in some ACL reconstructions and finding the body then just te- treats it as a, a treats it as a ligament. Oh, which I think is really interesting and cool. It doesn't happen all the time, but right. I think that was that was kind of an interesting thing. He he knows a little bit more about that ish than I do. But uh, the almighty ACL and why those injuries end up just ruining people's yeah. athletic careers. Well, it's just a lot. It's a tough injury. You know, you, when you injure the ACL, you're probably changing the intrinsic mechanics of the joint more so than than other ligaments. So the ACL is meant to stop movement of the tibia and femur. You know, it's supposed to stop the tibia moving on the femur. And, you know, so anytime you plant or cut or jump, the ACL really does help slow your body down. Uh, in addition, the ACL is very neuralized. So any structure in our body has mechanoreceptors, proprioceptors, free nerve endings. So the ACL has a very high proprioceptive feedback mechanism to the body to help reflexive stability. So, so a lot of times if, you know, I tore my ACL, that's how I got into this. And a lot of, you know, for six months, I just didn't feel like the knee was mine. Like there it is, but it's not doing what I wanted to do. Right. I I could press weight. I could pull weight, but it just doesn't feel like it's the same thing. So I think for those reasons, it changes the intrinsic biomechanics and stability and it, 
decreases the amount of feedback that we can get uh, into the system to help make appropriate movement decisions. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's a, you know, and I've seen some quick recoveries from it. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I would, yeah. I would argue what you're talking about, you know, players yeah. aren't quite the same or they have to work really hard, really, yeah. really hard to get back to where they were before. Uh, and, and I think non-contact ACL injuries are always the most troubling because exactly what you're saying in regards to its ability to slow us down, I, yeah. you, you, you can't help trauma, you know, when there's contact and things happen, like you can mitigate it as much as you can by trying to make things as mobile and force receptive as possible in regards to access. But you know, it trauma is trauma. And if a helmet hits you in the knee and your ACL goes, that's part of the game. Yeah. Would you, would we, you, we call would that you, a compromise joint. So anytime yeah. we have those big injuries, right? It's not the it's not the small ankle sprain, it's the high ankle sprain. Mm. Right? It's not the little impingement, it's the yeah, I took I clipped away 20% of my supraspinatus when I did that, right? So we call those compromise joints, it's a fracture. Those are just always a little bit different than some of the other soft tissue strains or reactive tissues that that we see, you know. Yeah. So that was that's where you draw the line there. I, yeah. I absolutely yeah. I'm bored with you. Do you think, and, 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 and this is something that I find interesting to talk about, just like better education is just generally helpful uh, for all. Do you think from your own opinion, uh, perspective, um, that the education of the, uh, the human anatomy and, and how the body works is as, um, is as big or as, you know, uh, as much as it could be, or do you think there could be a better way of educating with our professional athletes who like, like you were saying, this is their job, right? This is what you do. It's like, um, I think of like anybody in racing, right? Those NASCAR drivers, yeah. a lot of them don't yeah, just yeah. only drive. They know how the car works. Yeah. They know if something's going wrong and the people who obviously come and work on the car, they know everything about the car. If there is uh-huh. a certain thing to, to fix, but d- does that actually translate to something like, the NFL and Major League Baseball and soccer, yeah. do they have that same knowledge about their machine? No, of course. Of course, it always, the answer is it depends. But I will tell you from um, being outside in over the last 20 years, or I would say 15 years working with pro athletics, it has come a long way. It's, it really has, you know, which is great. Do we need to be better as an industry? Do we need to be better uh, in school systems developing physical education that's not only physical but education and not just focused around ball sports you know a hundred percent um do teams need to be better i, I don't know they're, they're getting better you know i think and we're starting to see collegiate sports making that change too we're starting to understand hey you know a lot of teams now are sitting athletes for their first year you know and they, they have research now that says hey if you sit your first year you're going to be a lot better for the next four years Right. Let's let your 18 year old or 17 and a half year old body develop before you're playing out with the big girls and boys. So we are starting yeah. to slowly see those shifts. And what we're also seeing is athletes starting to take ownership of themselves, which is important. You know, and I the parallel story is like my grandparents, I love them, but whatever the doctor says goes. So, you know, uh, and I, I could say the same thing. I saw a very well-known um, practitioner over the weekend and, you know, we're walk, working through his discomfort and I'm like, yeah, this is more like nerve pain. It's probably not the, you know, joint in your back. You know, you're, you are dealing with some symptoms in your leg. He's like, well, then I need to get, um, what's the, uh, 
Valium to decrease the nerve pain. I can't do any exercise until I have Valium, you know, and that's really what he believes, which is, which is interesting. We're starting to see a shift away from that. We're starting to see athletes take ownership. We're starting to see parents help educate their athletes. You know, we're starting to understand those things and it's conversations like these that'll help. So for those people out there, if you're hearing this, share the story, whether you're pressing the button to share the podcast or not, share the story because a lot of the injuries we're dealing with are preventable. There's a lot of information out there that's good. There's a lot that's bad. Uh, so don't forget that this is, you know, see, this is a relationship and it's an ongoing conversation. So important. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's really cool that you, you kind of touched on the preventability. I, I would argue and uh, you've been in this longer than I have, you know, for everybody at home, I'm, I'm eight years into my career and first year as a strength and conditioning coach for a football team. I would say, and, and I don't have the experience of seeing multiple, multiple teams and, and generations of players like you have, I would probably argue we have some of the most dysfunctional athletes as human beings that we've seen uh, maybe ever, because I think that I think there's something that transitions over and it may be hyperbole, but I think there's something that transitions over from the level of sedentary behavior and specialization in sport, which we see very early on specialization now that we didn't before. And that transitions into uh, less functional human beings. Somebody who's, I've got a 14 year old who's got the low back of a 40 year old and he's a quarterback. Like his L5 S1 has issues his hip doesn't actually have any function to it. So I, I think it's interesting, and maybe you can, you can talk to this, I think, see where I'm going. The injury, most of the injuries that we're seeing in the NFL are all young players. The veterans are fine, which I think is really interesting that what we're seeing, yes, it's a younger league right now, but yeah. we're not seeing guys who have been in the league for five, 10 years right. actually getting injured out there. We're seeing these right. younger guys who are supposed to be, quote unquote, more resilient than the the older guys out there is that a is that a fallacy is that a logical fallacy or is there something to the fact that maybe we're not letting kids actually have training ages the way that they're supposed to well i think that's a different sports specialization is a, a totally different category you know so that that's one rabbit hole i would love to see the statistics on who's getting injured i think that's the big thing i've recognized now with school is that you know the news and uh, what we see is only one perspective. Sure. You know, it's sure. only one perspective. And I don't know if it's the, all the young guys getting hurt. However, Tim Gabbett pointed this out. He's, you know, in the more training years and the more successful practices you have underneath you, the more likely you're to be injury free. So to, to correlate that, to make that make sense, the better preseason you have, the better in season you're going to have. Sure. Oh, by the way, the better off season you have, the better sure. preseason you're going to have, the better sure. in-season you're going to have. Sure. So as a strength, um, go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to say as a strength and conditioning, I'm sorry to interrupt you. As a strength and conditioning coach, you don't ever write, which has been, this has been very interesting for me. You don't ever write just in-season programming. You, your programming is a full cycle of uh, off-season, pre-season, in-season, postseason you plan everything out it correlates all together like that's the that's the whole main goal um obviously again when you get into the pro ranks these guys can kind of do the you know they 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 you know negotiate they can do pretty much whatever they want in regards to seeking out other people but in college 
And in, and in high school, you usually have all of those, all of that time. And we've been kind of robbed of that time. You're a movement educator. You know, like I, like I said before, I've actually got to sit and listen to you um, speak in regards to movement. Do you feel like what we're seeing is, I'm just going to come right out and say it. I don't think, I think skipping year zeros, year one, year two, and immediately loading people in movement without having any acumen for movement is building a foundation on dysfunction that you're just building compensation and adaptation to compensate and not actually efficiency. And I think we're seeing a little of that. I think we're seeing high school kids trying to obtain college numbers and college high school coaches trying to do things that college coaches are doing. I think this is a bigger sport conversation, but have you seen that? Do you see that? Or do you kind of understand you know, where that could be uh, the case with these rampant injuries, the soft tissue injuries, the increase in non-contact injuries we're seeing? Yeah, I think a well-rounded athlete makes a better athlete. I don't want just a good lacrosse player. I want a good athlete. You know, I think that's important. Um, And that'll make them a little more resilient. You know, how much we could, you know, blame it on the system, I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of different reasons why that happens. And, you know, I think you're right. And the biggest, you know, so here's what I do. You know, I preach different thing for my kids. Right. And I do the same thing for the kids of my, 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 my friends and family. So I try to preach the uh, different way of doing things, you know, and I think hopefully the pendulum will swing back. Yeah. You know, and I, and you're, you're absolutely right with everything you say. Yeah. So it, it it's this, it's this, um, it's a, it's an interesting combination too, because it goes back to the first comment you mentioned about how you want to, you know, teach people so that they learn, but they also can pass it on, you know, uh, the right way that if it's, you know, ingrained early on that PE in school, isn't just, you run around outside and you play, but it's actually this building the foundation of movement, uh, building all of these, the, the right blocks, uh, because if your foundation's weak on a home, your home's going to crumble when something, you know, like a like a natural yeah. disaster hits and it's just not prepared for it, right? Um, 100%. Somebody else's home out there is just doing just fine, and you're like, what? How did it go down? So if if that's a thing, I guess that's a really this is like a big question: is is it gonna take small conversations leading to a big conversation to eventually get to this type of? Um, you know, change uh, within how we're educated, even if that is, you know, um, on a, That's on a right. state level to then a national level. Like, is it just going to be that grassroots movement? Yeah. You know, hey, want to know what? I think if if we want to change politics, you need to vote, and right? That. And then there, there'll be some people who will voice their opinions to other people, which is great. And there will be some people who want to more formally take a stand, and that's great too. Um, it is just really about action. Uh, and it always starts with boots on the ground. It always starts with that individual conversation. It always starts with doing the right thing by your team, right? Setting the example, showing people through action and creating a track record of success, and then everything else will follow. You know, um, I think you guys are doing the right thing by sharing your voice with people. So I think that that's a good thing as well. Um, so it does, it starts with boots on the ground. I think, I think professional athletes, make horrible case studies. Let me repeat that. Professional athletes make horrible case studies, right? They are unicorns. It's very, yeah. you know, special, specialized. It's, it's very different, right? When, you know, I, 
had a part of a CrossFit for five or six years. And what you see on TV is not what CrossFit is on a day-to-day basis, although people believe that. Right. So we can't use this, this uh, platform of pro athletes always to, to water things down about how we're treating community because it's a very different situation. Yeah, I I would I would 100% agree with you on that. Um, real quick, want to backtrack to something you said just to get your expertise because when you got the expert, you got to ask why. What's the difference between a high ankle sprain and a low ankle sprain? Like what 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 occurs? Why is it so much worse to go higher than lower? Because I think the layman the layman human being is like high ankle. I've only and got one of these. What are they talking ankle? about? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's important that you rarely see a high ankle sprain without a low ankle sprain. So essentially, as the ankle rolls, you'll progressively strain the ligaments. The first ligaments will generally get strained uh, typically are the ones in front. You know, and then as their ankle rolls further and that tissue is taken further uh, into um, end range, you'll start to peel back those upper ligaments. Right. Sometimes you'll even get the peroneals that come on the outside of the foot involved and people have bruising in those muscles or echematic area in those muscles after a strain. And then the sesamoids also involved. So there's actually a membrane between the tibia and the fibula. Right. So so those bones have a bunch of stuff that travels between them. And there's a thin membrane that helps hold those together. And a lot of times that membrane will get torn. So intrinsically, there'll be more glide between the tib and fib, you know, and that's another characteristic of a high ankle sprain. So, um, so we like to, grow a second, you know, when it'll we grow generally... a second ankle, it'll grow yeah, a second so, ankle as a football yeah, player. Like there's right. not a, sec- <laughs> a higher ankle and a lower ankle. Yeah. We love, we love to, you know, we love to grade these things. We need to grade these things. We need to come up with specific terms, but it's like a sports hernia. What is a sports hernia? You know, it probably means 20 or <laughs> You know, I, I can, I, here, give me five minutes. I'll name you 20 or 30 sports hernias. I can probably name 15 in 60 seconds. Ready, go. You no, know, but it's a, <laughs> yeah, it's a trashy, it's a trashy term, just like hang ankle sprain yeah. is. So, so usually you're going to get one or three, one, two or three of those other structures involved besides the lower ankle sprain. So that's the case when someone's like, uh, you strain your hamstring, you pull your hamstring and you tear your hamstring. Uh, yeah. That's right. Are, are it's very similar. Of, yeah, they're, it's just language to cr- created to give some sort of uh, scale of, of damage, maybe? I don't know. That's right. There's even, but even there's like, fate, you know, there's uh, grade one, but there's three three levels of grade one. Yeah. Right. Right. You no. Know, so, so it is. I think it's interesting. Oh, by the way, oh, we were talking about ACL injuries before, and yeah. we're talking about athletes not knowing. I want to point something out. A lot of times when you see an athlete tear their ACL, what are they on the ground doing? They're not writhing in pain. What are they doing with their hand, right? They're punching the turf, Mm -hmm. right? Or they have their hands over their head. Listen, they're not in pain. They're educated. They know they tore their ACL. They're not upset because they, the pain they're in, they're upset because they know they have a year of work ahead of them. They know what happened, happened. So I think that's something to point out about uh, injuries. And that's actually what I'm studying, what's called health literacy in, in university. That's what my uh, dissertation is going to be on. And it's how we could take information and use it on ourselves. And I'm specifically going to study musculoskeletal health literacy. But that's the idea. So a lot of these athletes, they are educated. They do know their bodies. They're not in the pros by chance. Some are, right? Some are just God gifted and oh, yeah. some get lucky. But a lot of those guys, you know, they have to work hard. They have to have a team around them. And um, 
they know their body's pretty good. And you, again, you're starting to see that better and better. Do you think, and this is, this is a, this is a obviously very opinionated question I'm going to ask. Uh, do you think there is a place because sometimes when I see an athlete who's still playing, um, and you're just like, wow, you've been, you've been in this for a long time. Um, do you think there is a place where the body is like, there just needs to be professionals who's like, Hey, you, you need to stop for your personal well, being, for your future. You need to like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, the, like, the, is, yeah. there, is there a place where that conversation is like for you as a human being, um, uh, to be not wheelchair ridden by the age of 60 and to not yeah, you know face sure. this potential outcome which doesn't just have damage on the person, but yeah. the people around them and they love and their families and all that stuff. Yeah. Do you feel like there is a, there's a place for an evaluation that comes to that? If they're, you know, I know it's- we, we call that the supra temporal aspect of our care. Mm. So there's always a supra temporal uh, part of the term. care. So whether it's fault, well, yeah. I mean, it sounds like know, a move in a fighting it, game. Doesn't it sound so, <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it sound so cool? It does. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, or a really good uh, appetizer. Oh yeah, yeah. I was gonna say, um, that's, that's, I'm just hungry now from hearing that. Yeah, oh, man, it <laughs> so, so whether that's walking someone through pain science and knowing what good pain and bad pain is, whether it's walking through someone on a recovery cycle and not overtraining, whether it's telling them, hey, you want to know what, like. You're signing, you're putting your not you're putting your name on the line. You know what you're risking. That's what these athletes are risking, right? But you know, but at the same time, they're like, yeah, but why don't why don't know what? And I've had these conversations. Yeah. Hey, Chris, you know, but if I play one more year, I could take care of my whole family for the rest of their lives, mm-hmm. right? Or hey, you want to know what? I know what I'm putting myself at risk for. I'm willing to, you know, put my I'm willing to do that because uh, for, for these other reasons. So it's always a trade-off. And I can tell you that when I was first with a very big organization, we had an athlete who was, she probably had some psychological distress on board. She certainly was having, you know, anxiety and high performance issues. She was on all sorts of stimulants and supplements. And during the meeting, I said, Hey man, is anyone talking to this athlete about her mental health? And, you know, maybe this is not the thing we should do for her. And I, everyone looked at me like I spoke like, you know, like Voldemort's name in oh Harry Potter God. or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? It was like, you. Chris, well, you, you can't say that. Like, you know, the, you know, and then, you know, my director was like, yeah, like we understand that, but that's not how we operate here. You know, we're helping them be good for their bodies and or being good on the court and on the track. And I, I got it. So, um, when I didn't work for a big organization and when I handle my players, I have different conversations. So, um, you know, of course, of course we have those conversations, you know, am I going to tell someone not to play per se? No, but I'll give them, I'll tell them what my opinion is and we'll be objective. I think that's something that's really important is we need to be objectives. You need to look at the X's and O's. You need to look at your metrics. You need to be able to, visually see things you need to be able to tie into what the athlete is really telling you and have that relationship. If you could do those things, it makes things a lot easier. Yeah. Yeah. I think, okay. So now let's go talk about concussions. No, I'm just kidding. That's a <laughs> yeah. I don't want to go down right now. Um, Chris, uh, you know, besides obviously educating locally, is there anything else you're, are you, that you're doing right now? Do you, t- do you, you said you occasionally take um, clients in Buffalo or are you doing, 
anything through your clinic virtually for people anymore or uh, is it yeah. just kind of a case by case basis? Yeah, I put that on the back burner a little bit. I'm working with Duval College now where I teach. They have a three-floor healthcare hub they're building. So it's a three-floor three floor multi-use multi space, which is going to be state-of-the-art. It's unbelievable. So I am uh, acting as a consultant role to help design the fitness space and integrate PT, OT, DC, and exercise science all together. We're one of the few campuses in the country who has PT and chiropractic college on the same campus. Wow. So um, this year I rewrote all my, my syllabi. Uh, so all PTs and OTs and DCs can come to the courses. So a couple weeks ago, we had PTs and DCs in the same room uh, doing education, which was awesome. Wow. And in the first part of the day, they, everyone was a little separate, right? Everyone's sort of like PTs looked at themselves, DCs took to themselves. Um, we were doing a uh, kinesiology taping and sport taping Can you course. fill in PT, DC for anybody who's like, who, what are Oh, yeah. Terms? Physical therapists. Chiro DC is doctor of chiropractic care. Cool. So chiropractors and physical therapists. Um, shoot, I've been hanging out in the academic realm too too long yeah so i just had a moment forgot about physical your name yeah. you forgot about your yeah. middle name already jeez yeah that's right <laughs> so, yeah. so um halfway through the day i made everyone when they're doing their technique i said all right now get someone you don't know Ooh. from a, your, the other program mm. and it was great i mean and typically the way these things go is you you do the technique and it takes 10 or 12 minutes and everyone sort of works their way back to the you know their seats but after 15 minutes, the room was buzzing. Wow. After 20 minutes, the room was still buzzing. After 30 minutes, the room was still buzzing, but I had so much to do, I had to interrupt everybody. Yeah. You know, so that's really what I've been working on. And, and that's the project I have on my radar now. Another thing I'm doing is working with Theragun. So Theragun is certainly the, the leaders of percussive therapy. So we've redesigned their education. We've launched a new practitioner course. We have one coming up in the uh, uh, next couple weeks, um, which is really exciting. It has an interdisciplinary feel to it. Um, it has a really big neurology component. So if you're interested in neuroscience, if you're interested in the deep dive, proprioceptive components of motor control, if you're really into um, that aspect of musculoskeletal and movement science, it's a great course. Um, we've, we've spent a lot of times, and there's some of the industry leaders who's helped uh, give us content for that course. So that's something I've been doing a little recently as well. That's awesome. That's very uh, cool. I, I just yeah. have, you know, one, one final thing I guess I would ask you to, to do for anybody who's maybe uh, listening or, or, or is kind of, you know, sitting here and hearing all these, uh, these, these terminologies and just kind of this education. And some people are like, how does, you know, what he's talking about maybe relate to me in my current situation where I'm not this professional athlete and I'm, you know, I'm not in this space, but I'm sitting a lot and maybe I do want to not feel the pain that I might be feeling when I walk down the stairs or walk up the stairs. Is there a, you know, I know of cars as Jesse introduced me to that and, and working on that. Do you yeah. have a kind yeah. of thing for like the beginning journey to give people maybe some tools and some, some notes if they're like, I want to start building sure. the right foundation or, or, or what can I do now to, to maybe help my future? Yeah. I think game planning is big and write down some non-negotiables, you know, so I have in my, I have about five movement non-negotiables that I, I do all the time. Um, and one of those things might not be sitting for like more than an hour, you know, even if I'm driving somewhere, um, you know, and I try to get up frequently, I call them movement snacks. We understand how we should eat, right? 
yeah. multiple meals throughout the day. Why not handle movement the same way? You know, and I find out that works for me, you know, um, it helps me, me keep in, in shape. It helps me just feel good. So frequency is better than intensity. Sometimes game plan. It's always good to have a goal and it's always good to write it down. Even, you know, even the dullest pencil is better than the sharpest mind. So there's something about putting pen to paper and writing down your goals and figure out what those non-negotiables are. So for me, it's a daily mobility and meditation practice. You know, it's, it's strength training at least twice a week. It's something a little bit metabolic at least, you know, twice a week. And it's, you know, a couple long walks with loved ones. You know, that's one, the dirty secret. That's my favorite exercise. I need to get outside. I love hiking. Um, I love fishing. Uh, and not just because of my physical body, you know, I'm not, I don't have a six pack like I used to. Um, my biceps aren't as big as they used to be, but I feel good. I feel like I could tolerate my energy levels throughout the day. I feel healthy. And I think right now, as I'm going into like a high output time in my career, that's just fine. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I think those are, that's all great advice. Chris, uh, really appreciate you taking the time to join us today. It's amazing. You're, so incredibly well-spoken and smart and your mustache makes me jealous. Yes. So, yeah. One day you guys, are, my genetics, you guys are very entertaining. Right? One day when my <laughs> genetics want to gift me a mustache, I hope it's like yours. It's, it's like we share genetic. genetics or something. Yeah. I don't, I don't let it grow, man. What is that about? <laughs> no, 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 no. It doesn't, no, it doesn't, <laughs> no, no, it doesn't no, no, no. actually work that well. So no, cool. no. I look, I, I look, I look like fourteen-year-old Captain Jack Sparrow if I try and grow facial hair. It's not good. That's perfect. This is definitely not good. Yeah. So uh, I'm, a, trying, I'm trying to keep up with Stu McGill, <laughs> right? Oh, geez, do you, do you have a, a, a presence online or anything like that where people can come and follow you and maybe learn more about? Sure. You and pay I mean, just your my first initial last name, C Nentars, N-E-N-T-A-R-Z. Nentars, it's easy. You sound like you sound like a video game system right after Atari that tried to take advantage of Atari, but it just didn't work out. Did you buy the C Nentars? I can't wait to go home and play it. Like that's what it sounds like. I'm a nerd. What can I say? That's, that's exactly. Uh, real quick shout out. Um, T-shirt that I'm wearing, and Chris, I'm going to make you sit through this. Uh, Yates get a Yate. Uh, uh, it's funny we're talking about football. Field Yates of ESPN actually sent me the shirt. I made a small donation to ALS. He sent me a message and said, hey, I'd love to send you a shirt and sent me a shirt. Uh, he's a fantasy football and NFL um, uh, commentator and just a super educated guy. So really thankful for this really cool shirt that I'm wearing right now. And also donate to ALS Research. It's such a good cause. I mean, the, it, it, you know, there are a lot of good causes out there. Uh, ALS is definitely one that it, it just even if you're going to spare five, ten dollars, do it. So Absolutely. Um, high five to Gates. Yeah, high five, Field Yates. Thank you. All right. Well, uh, for Jesse Grund and uh, the Nerd Jock Podcast, thank you so much for being here, Chris. And uh, Nerd Jocks, we'll see you again very soon. Absolutely. I'm Chris Marone. We will catch you later. Thank you again so much, Chris. Everyone, have a wonderful rest of your day. Woo, bye.